Hey guys, this is the Kha Kids for Kids and Bar Kids. It is indeed the Kha Kids. My name is Jacob Gordon and I'm 12 years old. Coming up on Kha Kids today, I went to see the King David Victory Park production and I'm going to be telling you all about it. And I have a very exciting guest with me. He is a vet and his name is Dr. Melvin Greenberg. Also on the show, I will have the Kha Kids riddle to challenge your thinking and the general knowledge question to challenge your brain because general knowledge is awesome. Here are the details. If you have any questions for my guest, if you want to answer the general knowledge question or the riddle, or if you just want to say ha or anything at all, the SMS number is 34519. SMS is charged at 150. You can send me a WhatsApp on 062-148-2374. And please sign your name so that I can give you a shout out on air, guys. Get ready for a very entertaining show on Car Kids today. I will be talking to a vet, Dr. Melvin Greenberg, so stay tuned. You're listening to Hi Kids on 101.9 High FM. I just don't see how a world that makes such wonderful things. Hi guys, you're listening to the Hi Kids. That was that song was Your World from the Little Mermaid. This is the Hi Kids for kids, and it's also by kids. My name is Jacob Gordon, and I'm 12 years old. Coming up, I will be re- reviewing the King David Victory Park production. I also have a vet, Dr. Melvin Greenman. Greenberg in studio with me. Are you ready for my review, guys? Oh, I didn't hear an answer. Obvious. <laughs> okay, so here comes my review in just a few moments. Okay, so for those of you who missed out last Thursday on Car Kids, I interviewed six kids from King David Victory Park of the cast of the production. Okay, the play was called Providence. So after my interview with them i decided i want to go see the play for myself so the characters um i found portrayed the actors put that portrayed the actors were believable and it was obvious they put a lot of hard work into their parts the changing of sets and backdrops were smooth and efficient and didn't distract from the overall mood that had been established on stage at times i found the interference with the sound system was a bit annoying and the lighting added a lot to the atmosphere of the play with effective use of spotlights to follow individual characters. As usual, all the singing and dancing was amazing as that King David Victory Park had lived up to their standards. And if you didn't get to see this year's production, I suggest you make a note to go see next year's, whatever it may be. Okay, so now um, we have a song. You're listening to Hi Kids on 101.9 Hi FM. Hey guys, that song was The Time of Your Life from A Bug's Life. This is the Hi Kids for Kids and Bug Kids. My name is Jacob Gordon and I'm 12 years old. So I have Dr. Melvin Greenberg with me. In case you haven't heard, he's a vet. And I have some questions for him, so stay tuned. We will do that right off the riddle. Right, so here comes the riddle, but remember... You can win a prize for this riddle from Kid & Co. If you're the first one to get the correct answer. But there's terms and conditions. Is that if you haven't, you have to give other people a chance to win. So if you have won in Car Kids in the last 90 days, you can still enter, but you won't be able to win. So let's get ready for the riddle. And that is right after this. Please send your uh, answers and questions to Dr. Melvin or um, anyone even if you just want to say hi to 34519 or WhatsApp to 062-148-2374. You're listening to Hi Kids on 101.9 Hi FM.
Hi guys, again, that was the song of The Place from Prince of Egypt. This is the car kit, for kids, and it's also by kids. My name is Jacob Gordon and I'm 12 years old. So guys, I don't know what you think. Like, if you think you're just here to listen to my voice, you're very mistaken. Because no one sent any answers to the riddle. We need some participation. I mean, it's it's no fun without you guys. You guys make most of the show. So the answer was a razor for anyone who was interested, but no one sent any answers, so no one won. Um, so, okay, we're going to be doing another song, and then I'm going to be interview- interviewing Dr. Melvin. You're listening to Hi Kids on 101.9 High FM. That song was Something There from Beauty and the Beast. This is the Hard Kids, for Kids and Bar Kids. My name is Jacob Gordon and I'm 12 years old. So my guest, Dr. Melvin Greenberg, has been patiently waiting for me to ask him some questions. So are you ready for them? I'm very ready. Okay, so let's get straight to it. Um, so I'm going to ask you in different categories. So my first category is about a vet in general, Okay. So, what does practicing as a vet entail? Well, veterinary practice is a specialty in itself because you can do quite a few different uh, specialties as a veterinarian. You can be a, a lecturer, you can be in industry, you can be in pharmaceuticals. But practice involves dealing with animals and the public. Okay. And it is also diversified because some practices are just equine practices, some are livestock practices, and the ones that we always know of are the small animal practices that you have in the city areas where we do dogs, cats, birds, and monkeys and all that. Okay, so do vets only treat domestic animals then? Not at all. Uh, Vets are the only ones that are trained, competent, knowledgeable, and able to treat all forms of animals. Uh, we can talk from goldfish up to elephants because that is the spectrum of veterinary science at the moment. There are even vets that specialize only in fish diseases and some vets specialize entirely in reptiles. So all that is a veterinary training. Okay. Do vets require any special instruments or furniture to do their practice? Well, vets today are in specialty practices. You've got practices where you've got highly qualified veterinarians who not only qualify as a vet, but they do their honors in certain uh, categories of veterinary science. And they become very well equipped uh, to the same level as human hospitals. So where humans can go in for CAT scans, ultrasound scans, MRIs, uh, scopes, All those things are available at veterinary practices that are specialized, but also some vets in private practice may have the odd instrument which is specialized, for example, for dental care, surgery, radiographs or x-rays. They have a laboratory equipment. So anything and everything that humans can do, vets can do. And in a lot of places throughout the world, particularly in the United States, A lot of veterinary hospitals and veterinary academic facilities are in conjunction with human hospitals, and they share the same equipment and the same knowledge. Well, I I personally think that animals are just as important as humans, so I I think that's very special. 
Well, to some people, their animals are more special than their family. In some people, the animals are more special than their friends. So if you speak to a lot of people, they will tell you that they certainly love their dog or their cat better than they might love their family. <laughs> and uh, they might have a justifiable reason for that because animals are always happy to see them, which family is not. And they don't borrow money from you. <laughs> so certainly that's, that's true. Yeah, okay. Um, so do vets need special accommodation for animals if it is necessary to keep those animals overnight? Oh, definitely. Uh, many animals come in for certain procedures. So surgically, you may have to keep overnight or even much longer. Sometimes animals are kept for weeks after a surgical procedure because they need to be restricted. But some animals come in with problems. If a dog, for example, has swallowed uh, some objects from within the home, whether it is stones or a child's dummy, and they end up in surgery, they have to stay in hospital until they make a proper recovery. So all veterinary hospitals, all veterinary practices should have overnight facilities. Okay. Um, so do, does a vet require an assistant in their practice or can they be alone? A vet can work on his own provided he has got very, very well-trained lay staff. And I'm not just talking about a receptionist or somebody who deals with merchandise, but the hospital staff have to be trained very similar to veterinary nurses. And many practices have got veterinary nurses, which is a degree on its own and it's a course on its own and a great asset to the practice. But many members of staff who've been in practices for a very long period can learn to do very important aspects of nursing, for example, taking the animals out for walks, collecting samples, uh, helping with x-rays, holding the animals while vets work with them, and also being able to nurse them in ways of give special feeding and knowing when to uh, keep them comfortable, and how to do all the necessary, you can say, paraveterinary type of work. So it's it's almost like a human nurse having to keep details, record all the aspects of, say, for example, a dog is brought into a work area and you have to take temperature and take the pulse and, you know, determine if it's eating, drinking, how much is it eating, how much is it drinking, um, what is it passing, and you have to know all that type of thing. So that's very often given to uh, the assistants at the practice to do. Okay, so uh, which do you go to? Do you go to a university or college to study this practice? It's a um, it's a university degree. Um, it has varied over the last uh, 10 to 15 years from a five- to seven-year course. It is possibly a lot more difficult than human medicine because we have to deal with so many different animals and so many different species, and we have to do everything in all those species. And so it is a seven-year course, and it does alter from time to time because the courses do change with time depending on the demand um, uh, from the public. Okay. So then which universities in South Africa offer this degree? It's only offered through the University of Pretoria, and our teaching facility is at the Faculty of Veterinary Science at Onderstepoort, which I recommend that every single listener to Chai FM should go and visit and be educated about 
the pre-graduate facilities, uh, walking around the stables, looking at the cattle and the horses. So you can see all the aspects of veterinary science. They offer tours, and it will be very interesting for potential uh, veterinary students to pass through that facility and be able to decide whether this is the type of profession they would like to take up. Okay. So then uh, what subjects do you need to study? Well, for acceptance, mathematics is absolutely imperative. Uh, You have to have very, very high metric results. Uh, You have to have a very high average. And then they also select whatever degrees you do, whatever subject you do in the first year, which is usually in the form of science. Um, They will possibly do things like botany, uh, biology, all the basic BSc subjects. But uh, you'd have to get incredibly good results to get in. And it's also selected on an individual basis. Uh, While some people are accepted on academic level, uh, they also do interviews to find out why you want to be a veterinarian. Because, you know, you can't say to the interviewing committee that you just love animals. It doesn't work like that. You have to decide why you want to make a difference. So they need to see what type of character you are. So certainly they interview and they they determine that. And certainly it's a a very difficult course to get into. And you have to have very high qualifications. Sounds like you've got to meet up with a lot of standards to be a vet. It's incredibly high. And uh, we only have about 180 qualifying per year. So it's, uh, it's and done only at one university. Okay, so um, at what age did you decide that you wanted to become a vet? I decided immediately after my bar mitzvah uh, because that's when I started collecting snakes. And I decided I wanted to study snakes for a living. And my father said, you could never support a family studying snakes, being a herpetologist. Is that what it's called? Herpetologist. And I couldn't I couldn't understand why my father wasn't happy with the idea. And then he came along and he said to me, why don't you become a vet? And I said, well, that's not a bad idea. Let me try. And when they said it's very difficult to get in, I thought, well, that's a challenge. If it's difficult to get in, I'm going to try. And that's when I started collecting more than snakes. And I started collecting a whole lot of animal species and studying them. And then I eventually did my course. And it's uh, best time of my life. Wow, that sounds pretty cool, hey? Good experiences. So I understand from my parents that you used to have a radio talk show on pets. And you called yourself Dr. That's correct. Okay, so can you tell us a bit more about this and well, your experiences there? Well, what what initiated the the talk show on Radio 702 and Cape Talk, in uh, 1990, many people in South Africa were being killed by dogs, uh, an alarming number of people, and they invited an animal behavior specialist from the United Kingdom and... This specialist came to South Africa to give a lecture on canine aggression. Why do dogs bite their owners? Why do dogs kill their owners? Why are dogs aggressive when they are domesticated? And when the interview 
was arranged. They also needed a representative from the South African Veterinary Association. And at that stage, I happened to be the public relations officer for the Veterinary Association. And I got invited onto the talk show, which was arranged for 15 minutes. But the moment the topic was entered into, all the lines were full with questions. So the 10 lines lit up. And they said, well, could you stay for half an hour? And that half an hour turned into two hours. And it turned out that it was a very interesting topic for for radio. And they decided to have a regular talk show uh, with regard animal behavior problems. Because many people today have problems with the animals, which are not the fault of the animals. It's entirely the fault of the owners, either through negligence or misunderstanding the behavior of animals. And that started uh, the program in 1990. So I did that for 18 years. So I see we have a message. It says, nice to hear Dr. Plattert on the radio again. Great show. And Yossi? Who's Yossi? (laughs) Okay, so um, my next question is, what animals do you generally deal with in your practice? Well, most of it's dogs. We do a fair amount of cats. I also treat uh, parrots, uh, all ranges of birds, uh, monkeys to a certain extent, and reptiles to a certain extent before it becomes very specialized, where you need special facilities, and then they get referred to an exotic animal hospital at our faculty where those veterinarians only do specialized work, like operating on a snake or operating on fish, that type of thing. But the basics, primary health care, I can do that for the smaller animals. And there's a lot of other vets in private practice who can do the same. Okay, so what is the most unique animal you have ever treated? Oh, I've done quite a few. I've treated a coati mundi. Which is? It's like an ant bear from South America. Uh, they call them uh, coatis or coati mundis. I've repaired a fractured jaw of a chameleon. Uh, While I was a student, I had a lioness with an infection in her wrist, and I had a polar bear who had uh, an infection in the skin. Polar bear? A polar bear. came from the zoo. Oh, from the zoo. Okay. And then, obviously, snakes. Snakes are always interesting. Uh, We had a snake that used to have convulsions and epilepsy because the owner put it in a cage with wooden shavings that gave off a turpentine smell. So the snake was inhaling the chemicals from this tree that he had made the shavings from, and it started to cause a toxic reaction in the snake. But I've treated a a lot of uh, um, unusual creatures, but those are the ones that come to mind besides tortoises and rats. uh, Hamsters are quite common with uh, hamsters get a lot of cancer. And uh, it's it's very interesting to see what goes on with uh, those little creatures. Okay, so then what is the biggest mistake that owners of pets make that causes the pets to be sick or whatever it might be? The major problem we have today is that people do not understand animal behavior. They do not understand the needs of dogs and cats, and they treat them as humans. And there's a famous saying that says, if you treat your dog like a human, 
your dog is going to treat you like a dog. And that is really what happens. That's why so many people have behavior problems with their animals. It's because the dog becomes their child. It becomes their family member instead of it being a dog. The dog wants to be a dog. It wants to do doggy things. And people don't do that. They do the most ridiculous things like put jackets on dogs. When dogs are insulated and they don't need jackets, you don't find jackal in the Kruger Park with jackets on. You don't find foxes in the Kalahari with jackets on. People do these things because they don't understand what the needs are. They don't take them to puppy schools and puppy socialization to learn the basics of human-animal interaction. They don't go to basic obedience. So the owner's uneducated and the dog is dysfunctional. And that's where the problems come in. And that's why today we have a whole range of animal behaviorists and veterinarians who specialize in psychology and um, um, all kinds of human, um, human and animal behavior problems because people don't get the basics right. And that is the problem. The animal doesn't choose the owner. Um, well, you know, speaking of ridiculous things with dogs, um, I, I – I'm subscribed. Or I want to be subscribed to the National Geographic kits, even though I buy it every month anyway. Um, and it's the richest animals in the world. And it showed this dog. Um, it inherited a two, 714 million. Downs and caviar every day. Steak. Bought a mushroom for 16,000. And it wears sunglasses. I mean, like, that's just why. That's That's got to be um, an American... Um, attitude towards animals which is perverse and as far as I'm concerned uh, I know people do leave money to their animals but to people to care for them after they've they've passed away but uh, a lot of people do this for attention they do it for publicity and it's not what the animal needs for example, that type of diet, the dog will have malnutrition in a very short period of time, will have all kinds of defects and health problems, and people think it's, it's love and it's care, but it's not. It's, it's treating, treating an animal as a human, which we call anthropomorphism, and that's not what the dog or the animal wants. So the people that do that, uh, to me, as I say, it's perverse. If you look at these funniest home videos of animals, most of those videos are not funny. They are dogs with serious behavior problems that people are exaggerating and thinking it's funny. Uh, You know, for example, a dog that's jumping up and biting the blinds. He's not jumping to see out the window. That dog has now got serious issues with light intensity He's developed an obsessive-compulsive disorder, and he should be on Prozac and not be photographed and laughed at. And that is what we're seeing throughout the world today, but that is what happens when it comes from the United States. Okay, so uh, what is the biggest and smallest animals you've treated? Well, the smallest that I've treated is possibly, you can say, um, a chameleon and a goldfish. And the largest that I've treated was possibly the... uh, the polar bear during my studies. Okay. Are there any animals you would prefer not to treat? I would say a spoilt, aggressive, undisciplined little dog owned by somebody who knows nothing about dogs. Those those are the type of animals that most vets don't want to treat. 
but otherwise, we um, are capable, provided the owner's not in the room, we are capable of handling it because that dog's only a problem in the presence of the owner. So out when the owner's now kicked out of the room, that animal is normally a lamb in our hands because they haven't got anybody to support them. Okay, so I understand that you treated a lioness and a polar bear, but uh, would you treat a wild animal that is not from the zoo? Well, we have to have permits to treat wild animals. That's a, an ethical fact. But if a, any animal comes in, we will do all the necessary basic treatment. So if, uh, for example, a doka is brought into the practice or a genet that you might still find in the suburb somewhere, we will have to do the basics to make sure that animal's pain-free, out of shock and comfortable. And then we would refer it to a veterinarian who specializes in wildlife and let them take over that, that, uh, uh, the treatment and the facility. Okay, so what is the most difficult and the most rewarding cases you've attended to? Well, I would would regard the most rewarding cases are animals that come in critically ill and go home as if nothing's happened. Uh, We get dogs that come in with, uh, for example, enormous bladder stones. The dogs are urinating blood and... You take an x-ray and you find these stones. You then go surgically into the bladder. You remove all these stones. And now the dog is comfortable. The stones are there for the owners to keep as a prize. Uh, The animal's on a special diet for the rest of its life. And that, to me, is a very rewarding type of procedure for veterinarians. Sometimes you get animals that come in. They've been in a bad dog fight. They, They comatose. They maul to pieces. And you stitch them up, you keep them on shock treatment for a couple of days, and within a a week they're on their feet again, eating, drinking, and the wounds have just got time to heal. And it's most rewarding to pull a dog from near death's door into a normal pet after a couple of weeks. So it's a very, very rewarding profession. And then the most difficult? Look, the most difficult is always having a dog with a difficult temperament. So when you have a burbul, who is not an intelligent breed, okay, coming in with an owner who is not intelligent either, and the dog has never been trained and is 85 kilos and is trying to bite you, that is quite daunting because you know what you have to do, but it's also what the owner will allow you to do. And it's very risky because you can get very hurt. Vets do get seriously hurt from animals. Colleagues of mine have been almost killed by lion. Some have been almost gored by antelope. Uh, Colleagues have been kicked in the face by horses. And some vets have been badly mauled in their faces by dogs. So it can be mutilating. So you need to take all all these kind of precautions. So those are the type of cases where we, we are slightly hesitant. Okay, so um, if a patient came to you and he couldn't afford to um, pay and it was an emergency, would you refer him to the SPCA or would you treat him yourself? Depends on the circumstances. In most cases, if that person is genuinely, genuinely indigent and they love their dog, I will do it for nothing. But if, and there are a lot of people who are not honest, who will try and avoid payment, 
and I will refer them then to the SPCA. But then they are also being fraudulent because uh, the SPCA depends on public funds. So you have to prove to the SPCA that you cannot afford it. But I do refer to Animal Welfare, not only to SPCA, but to Animal Anti-Cruelty League and all these other places, if these people can't afford it. But I would prefer to do it myself and know that the animal's getting the right treatment. But all vets do that. All vets do pro-deo work. It's never really advertised, but I don't know one single veterinarian that will turn anybody away who cannot afford a treatment unless it becomes something very, very difficult. For example, if a dog has been hit by a motor car and it's got a multiple pelvis fracture and the op alone is going to cost the veterinarian about 8,000 rand, might say, look, we've got to make another plan. But if it's not going to cost too much and it's just the labor that you have to put into it and certain materials, I don't know of a vet who won't do it. Okay. That's pretty heartwarming. Okay, so under what circumstances would uh, you suggest an animal be put down? Well, there are various reasons for it. If an animal has got a terminal disease like cancer, kidney failure, or any kind of serious internal problem, that's a suggestion. An animal that has been biting the owner and has mauled a child, it has to be euthanized. Uh, there's animals that have been badly injured, and the repair is beyond any expertise, then we have to put the animal down. So we have various reasons for doing it. So it's sometimes illness, injury, or temperament. And it's done with great consideration, and it's done mostly in the interest of that animal because you have to, as a veterinarian, decide what's right for the animal, and that's when we make that decision. What is your personal view on sterilization of pets? I believe all all pets should be sterilized early on in life unless it is a breed that is uncommon and it can be put into breeding. There are a lot of breeds out there that are not popular anymore that should be in high-density dwellings and people are not interested in them. There are a lot of breeds that have become popular today, like Duck Schunz and uh, Jack Russell Terriers, which shouldn't be in the city. Those are farm dogs. But people think small dogs, small property. Those dogs suffer serious stress living behind four walls with no stimulation, no exercise, no training, and they end up as behavior problems. So all in all, it's, it's important that you know, people choose the correct type of animals. Yeah. Um, I've got a friend who has a Jack Russell, and he often tries to fight your shoes. Yeah, because dogs are frustrated living behind four walls. Dogs don't want to be kissed on the couch all day. They want to, they want to work. They want to exercise. They want, to, they want fresh air. They want, to, they want to go and explore. And that's what they're not getting in the cities. And that is why you've got to say to yourself, where does cruelty start and where does it end? How can you keep a border collie in a townhouse? That's a herding dog. It should be on a farm. But people don't think of that. They don't think what's right for the dog. 
Okay, so um, which is better, um, a leash or a harness for a dog? Anybody who walks a dog on a harness knows nothing about dog, uh, dogs. Harnesses are only for pulling sleds. So if you're a husky and you want to do sledding, that's the contraption you use. Harnesses are good for dogs who've got a collapsed windpipe and they can't breathe. That's fine. But if you're walking a dog in a harness, you've got no control over the dog because the dog should be controlled by the head. So you should have control over the head of the dog and a harness. The dog spins on the harness and people think it's kind. But if you've got a very big dog and you're not concentrating and you're walking in one direction and the dog bolts in another direction, you can dislocate your shoulder. So it's very important that people understand why are you giving the dog a harness? It's because you know nothing about dogs. A dog must be on a slip lead or a collar, and it must be trained to walk on the lead next to you or behind you, but not to walk in front of you. And this is where people make the big mistake. So then you Many don't people, believe in those leads where they stretch so that the dog can no, run around. Those extendable leads are allowing the dog to do what it wants to do. On a walk, you must be in control of your dog. It's very, very important. You must be in control of your dog. The dog must be obeying your instructions all the time. Okay, so what is your personal favorite animal to have as a pet? If I had to start with animals all over again, I think the two dogs I would choose is a standard poodle and a German, German short hair pointer because they're easy to manage, they're highly intelligent, and they can do anything in this world. Those are the, my two favorite dogs at the moment. My cousins have got a French poodle. They, they teach it to pick hands, like they're hard to treat, and then they, they get it to choose. <laughs> See, any dog can be trained. It's the only thing is, can the owner be trained? Okay. Um, so, do you have any pets? At the moment, none. Okay. And um, do you, let's finish up. Do you have any partners? In your uh, practice? No, I work totally on my own, but when I'm not there, I get an assistant to take over. Okay, and would you like to give us your contact details? Well, I can give that to the station, but uh, I'm not going to advertise it. Okay, right. Thank you for coming in. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you. It's been great. You're listening to Hi Kids on 101.9 High FM. This is indeed the Hi Kids. For kids and bar kids. So um, I want to say thank you to everyone. Um, thank you to Tabor for pressing all those buttons and doing all those controls. I would never be able to do that. Thank you to Mandy, the best pers- best producer in the world. Thank you to um, everyone. Thank you to all the people listening. And have a great Shabbos. Join us next week for Car Kids only on 101.9 Chai FM. Bye!